Matthew Barnes. The goal of New Wine is simply this, to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the real world, especially for those of us who are tired of doing it the same old way. This is podcast number 17, and here's the question we'll try to answer this time. Why is courage vitally important for any missional endeavor? If you're like me, and you fancy yourself as a pretty courageous person, then when that courage gets called into question, it really hurts. Now, in my particular case, my courage rarely receives any doubt from anyone, because I tend to speak my mind whenever I feel that it's right, and I tend to stand up to whomever, even when it might not be the wisest thing to do. But from time to time, someone close to me can see through my bravado and see that I can cower under fear too. In fact, sometimes my closest confidants point out to me that my brash words and behavior may not always be courageous, but instead, they may be a way for me to cope with my fears and even hide from them. The thinking goes like this. If I make a big fuss about something, then people will pay attention to the fuss and not to me, and I just might be secretly breaking under the pressure. Sadly, I know this to be true. All too often my courage fails, and I create diversion so no one will notice. But for others of us, a lack of courage means never speaking up for oneself and never confronting that which needs to be confronted. So, what is courage then? Here's a good quote about courage that is sometimes attributed to Winston Churchill, though that seems to not be the case. Nonetheless, I still think it'll help us. The quote goes like this, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Now, I like this quote a lot because it gets at both sides of courage, the bombastic, stereotypical side and the quiet, reserved side. Here's my contention. For someone seeking to follow Jesus in the real world, that is, for someone who wants to be missional, this kind of two-sided courage is a prerequisite. Before we can move forward, however, we need a solid definition of courage. This is the way that Merriam-Webster defines courage, mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Now, while mental or moral strength could allow for the non-stereotypical kind of things, which are also courageous like sitting down and listening, it still brings with it the primary picture of grit, determination, and brashness. Here's the way that I like to define courage, so take this with a grain of salt. Courage is enacted wisdom in the face of fear. Let's break down my definition a little bit more. Enacted wisdom is something that is lived out, not just some sage advice that's in one's head. And wisdom in this context can be defined as knowledge of best practices. And the scriptures consistently tell us that God is the ultimate source of wisdom. Thus, enacting wisdom would be living out the knowledge of best practices as defined by God. And all of this happens in the face of fear. Fear, of course, is anything that can cause us existential doubts, things which are dangerous in one way or another. Without fear, there's no courage. Interestingly, the Bible in 1 John 4 says that it's perfect love and not courage which drives out fear. We'll see the connection between fear, love, and courage a little bit later, but suffice it to say here that courage in the Christian sense is always directed by love. So courage is enacted wisdom in the face of fear. And all of that leads us to our central question for this podcast. 
Why is courage so vitally important for any missional endeavor? I'll break down six reasons why I think courage is imperative for those who are seeking to follow Jesus in the real world. Here they are. Number one, Jesus had courage. Number two, loving your neighbors takes courage. Number three, advocating for the marginalized takes courage. Number four, sharing the gospel can certainly take courage. Number five, resisting the pull back to the same old church routine, that takes courage. And number six, true courage comes from love, which is the heartbeat of the missional movement, and love requires courage. First, Jesus had courage. So it's imperative that as we follow him, that we too have courage. Have you ever stopped to think about the amount of courage that almost every decision Jesus made required, or that it would from any ordinary human perspective at least? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, put all that aside to become one of us. That's nuts, and would have caused any typical person a great amount of fear. Then Jesus grew up relatively poor, which, of course, requires a great deal of courage. Staying strong when the money runs out and the food supplies are low, that requires Herculean amounts of courage. Waiting 30 years to get started with his primary purpose in life required courage. Think about it. When Jesus began his ministry, he was old by the standards of the first century. From a very human perspective, one could argue that life had passed Jesus by whenever he was 30, and that it was highly unlikely that anything good, much less massively influential, could come from his life at that point. Then Jesus made difficult choices about who to be close to. He picked outcasts, political nut jobs, sinners and nobodies, and he was supported financially by women, which was a big no-no in Jesus' day. And he constantly ate with sinners, which almost certainly meant those engaged in sexual sin and tax collectors whom were hated by everyone. And Jesus took his time after he started his ministry. He could have charged headlong to the cross so that he could save all those who would believe, but he didn't do this. He made the courageous choice to take time, investing it in those who followed him. In almost every encounter that Jesus had with people, he had courage, since he tended to speak to the wrong sort of people And other times, he tended to say things that made people angry. It took a great deal of courage for Jesus to take on the Pharisees and other religious leaders. And near the end, at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faced fear head-on, even asking his friends to support him as he prayed. And then, at the end, Jesus courageously became sin for all of us upon the cross. And it took great courage not to be angry with all of those who were harming him in those moments, saying, instead, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it took the most courage imaginable, or maybe even more courage that can ever be imagined, for Jesus to delve into the depths of death, the great sleep, putting his life and future existence firmly in his Father's hands. In other words, Jesus was courageous in traditional ways and in non-stereotypical ways. Thus, as we follow Jesus in the real world, it should come as no surprise that in so doing, we are required to be courageous also. Second, loving your neighbors requires a great deal of courage too. For some of you, this doesn't seem to be the case, but trust me, it is. Most of us in the West, and in the U.S. in particular, are scared to death of our literal neighbors. We don't know their names, and we certainly don't want to be involved in their lives to any extent. And even if we do somehow come to know their names, 
Most of us want to hold them at an arm's length because we're so busy or we already have enough friends. Others of us do a pretty good job of getting to know our neighbors and even being nice to them. However, general knowledge and basic pleasantries are not the same thing as love. Love is bigger, more costly, and much less controllable than that. Love means putting the interest of our neighbors before our own. That requires a great deal of courage because it's so risky. But this gets even more interesting when we define neighbor the way that Jesus did in the Good Samaritan story. I'll recap the story briefly. A man is deathly injured on the side of the road. Two religious types pass him by, but a Samaritan, a social pariah who was the wrong race and the wrong religion, stops to help the guy, taking him to shelter and seeing to his care. Jesus then says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the answer was, the one who had mercy. And Jesus replied, go and do likewise. So Jesus defined the neighborly relationship as being most strong between the injured man and the good Samaritan. Why? Because the good Samaritan helped. And his command, Jesus' command, applies to us too. We are to go and do likewise. Let's be even clearer. Whomever we see that's hurting, in need, or could benefit from our presence, that person is our neighbor. That's the person whom we are to love. Wow. We'll have to break from our comfort zones, love all those whom God places across our paths, and do so without any expectation of reciprocation. What great courage that will take for all of us. Third, advocating for those in need whom we know about takes a great deal of courage too. And before anyone gets all up in arms, advocating for someone is not a, quote, liberal, unquote, thing to do, or a community organizer's thing to do, or a college student's thing to do, or anything else like that. It's not. Advocating for someone in need means using whatever voice we have for their benefit, knocking on the right doors for them, dialing the right numbers for them, and writing the right letters for them. It means making it publicly known that we stand on their side, the side of the downcast, forgotten, and voiceless, no matter how it might make us look to anyone. It means using our means for their sakes instead of just for our own, and it's likely that we'll never be repaid in kind. And advocating for the marginalized takes a great deal of time over a long, long process. There's no simple solution to the deep human problems that we face in this world. Problems like homelessness, human trafficking, gang influence, bigotry of all sorts, poverty, hunger, the need for clean water, etc., etc. And advocating for the people suffering due to these problems and others comes with no guarantee. Well, that's not entirely true. Advocating for the downtrodden, the under-resourced, and the unprivileged will almost guaranteedly put targets on our backs. This particular kind of neighborly love, advocating for others, is costly. Advocating for those who suffer requires more courage than most of us have, which means that we need to band together so that we can be encouraged, which literally means putting courage in one another. Fourth, another part of attempting to shift to being more missional that will require tons of courage is this, sharing the gospel. Now, while it's true that sharing the gospel with our lives takes courage, but that's really what we covered in number one, two, and three, and we'll return to it in number six. Here, I literally mean sharing the gospel with our mouths. Why should this take courage? Why? Because the proof is in the pudding. 
The vast majority of us self-reported followers of Jesus have not shared the gospel recently or have done so in a very ineffective way, such as giving someone a tract or yelling at them through a megaphone. What I have in mind here is the basic idea of sharing our stories, telling others what God has done in us, is doing in us now, and what we're excited that he's going to do in us and our friend with whom we are sharing. This kind of storytelling approach is effective and inviting. It's attractional at its core, but it's also super scary. Letting people in on our personal narrative is private. It feels intimate, and thus, we only let a few people in on that story. But it's through telling our stories of Jesus' love for us and ours for him that we'll draw people to Jesus. It really doesn't even have to be complicated. As we get to know someone who's far from God, eventually they'll get curious about why we believe in God. That's our chance to tell our story. And all we have to do is be honest. Admit that we don't have all the answers. Instead, we'll stick to our personal story and invite them into it. I'll give you an example. Here's one of the ways that I tell my story. My parents were Christians, so that's how I grew up. But over time, how well I did in school became more important to me, so much so that I became really arrogant about my education and supposed intelligence. In my late teens and then again in my mid-twenties, I was re-centered on the life of Jesus thanks to some of my trusted friends. As I re-encountered the Jesus of the Bible, I was reminded of his strong humility and longed to have that same humility in my life so that I could be less and less arrogant. Now, I still have a long way to go, but each day Jesus teaches me to be more humble through the Bible, through my friends and, and family, and in any other way that he sees fit. I'd love to introduce you to the Jesus of the Bible who's continuing to change my life. Do you want to talk about him and maybe even read some about him over coffee sometime? Now, you don't have to use my story as a template because I don't even do that. It changes depending on the context. But the courageous part of following Jesus in the real world is being ready and able to say out loud what Jesus means to you and inviting others into your story. Fifth, part of becoming more missional is that doing things the same old way just isn't cutting it anymore. Going to a church building, singing, being taught, making small talk, and then coming home just isn't what it used to be. But maybe you're a superstar. Maybe you're part of a small group. Maybe you serve at your church on Sunday mornings. And maybe you're on a leadership team or, or a committee or two. But all that seems to result from all this religious activity is getting burned out. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a religious person. I not only attend a church, but I work at one. I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. I'm a lifer. And because I'm a lifer, I can see the problems and issues from the inside. And one of the chief issues is that what we're doing as organized followers of Jesus just isn't working. Our churches are getting smaller with a few exceptional exceptions. The numbers of people walking away from the church altogether is increasing. Our methods for fixing things don't seem to be working at all. In fact, at least in some cases, our attempts to correct things only make them worse. But there is another way, and it's the way of Jesus. It's the way we see Jesus living in the Gospels. As we seek to live that way, which we'll call being missional or following Jesus in the real world, we'll notice it doesn't always look like the church we grew up with. Instead, it looks different for each person. Why? 
because Jesus has two big commands for us, the greatest commandment and the great commission, and living them out looks different in every single context. The greatest commandment says for us to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Well, that will look unique in each circumstance. And of course, it's fine for us to organize together to attempt to love God and others with one another, but we have to be ruthless about checking in to make sure that loving God and others is central and not our attendance or building campaigns or budgets or anything else. And the Great Commission says that we're to make disciples of all nations. Well, that will look different in each case too. Why? Because the way to make a disciple is by telling them your story of Jesus and how he's changing you and inviting them to join in with you. Each story is different. Every hearer is different and and every case of joining in is different too. But it's still okay and sometimes very preferable for us to organize together to share the good news with others. This can be good so long as, again, we are ruthless about making sure that we're making disciples of Jesus and not just members of our group or church. All of this is going to require lots of courage. And resisting the draw back in toward doing church the same old way, that's strong too. Old structures don't fall over easily. They are supported and defended. And they look safe when being missional so often looks scary and unsafe. Sixth, and last, is that true courage comes from love, and love is the heartbeat of the missional movement. Furthermore, in order to be loving, we also have to be courageous. Now that is really confusing, so I want to put it differently. Courage comes from love, and love requires courage. So what are we to do? Here's how I've seen things work in my life and in the lives of others too. We can't follow Jesus in the real world all by ourselves, just me and Jesus style. We need one another. We need to draw together missional communities of people to support us, help us, and grow us. In other words, we need people to love us as we seek to follow Jesus in the real world. This love that we show one another in a missional community can give us courage to go out there and be on mission with Jesus. But going out there and being on mission with Jesus requires courage on our parts. Why? Because Jesus' mission was love. To put it the way the Bible puts it in Colossians 1 and 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. He came to love this broken world and set it right again. And as we follow him, he teaches us to love too. Love is Jesus' mission. Thus, it is our mission too. He calls us to join him in this massive reconciliation project. But this love that Jesus calls us to isn't some warm and fuzzy emotion. No, instead it's practical. It's a choice to put the interests of others before our own. That kind of love requires courage. And that kind of courage requires a community of people backing us up. In a future episode, we'll talk about forming a missional community in order to provide the kind of courage that we need to follow Jesus in the real world. Well, that's it. Those are some of the things that I think about courage and its role in the life of someone who seeks to follow Jesus in the real world. Friends, let's face our fears with courage, going out to a hurting world in order to love and to share the gospel. Are you with me? Thank you so much for exploring the topic of courage with me. I hope you enjoyed it, 
And if you did, then please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. And also, check out my website, jmatthewbarnes.com. That's jaymatthewbarnes.com. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the creative process that helps bring this podcast to life, then please check out my Patreon page. Simply go to patreon.com slash jmatthewbarnes. That's the letter J, Matthew Barnes. There are some fun rewards there for folks who pledge support, although any level of support will be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for your time, grace, and peace.